There we go. All right. Happy Sunday. Hello, hello. My name is Jeremy King. I'm our young adult pastor. Uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, most important thing about me, I want to show you all my family. Uh, there's a picture of us. That's me, my wife, Amy, my son, Emmett. Uh, one thing you know about Amy is she is a gift. Uh, she's a disciple of people and can hear the voice of the Lord. So I'm thankful for you, babe. Uh, my son, Emmett, uh, is a, I mean, he's like a little Samson. He's a strong boy. Uh, so we are pregnant with our second. Uh, Going to be here about August 2nd. So if you don't see us for a while, that's why. Good things are happening. Um, but we are excited to uh, continue this series on the names and uh, nature of God. We've got our tagline that we want to read each week. So you don't need to stand with me, but if you want to read this with me, it'd be great. It says, Miracles in the Bible and in daily life reveal the awesome name and nature of God. He does miracles to show us who He is and how much He cares. When we read or experience the miraculous work of God, we will respond with increased faith and sincere worship. Amen. Let it be. Well, uh, if you are a note taker in the room, I want to show you this QR code. Uh, I am going to run through a bunch of different scriptures. Uh, some we're going to put on the board, some we're not. So uh, again, if you could grab this uh, on your phone, it's going to give you a great list of a lot of what we're going to talk about. You can also use this to meditate on your own time uh, on the name and nature of God, Jehovah Sidkenu. That means God, our righteousness. So that's what we're going to dive into this morning, and I'm pumped. Uh, so grab that, uh, and if you need to see it again, I'm sure we can put it on after the service is over. Uh, but I want to jump into first uh, a miracle in Luke 5. So y'all are Bible openers or digital openers. Let's open up to Luke 5, 17 through 26. It says... Uh, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down uh, with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. So a lot of us have heard that passage before. Uh, it's a very commonly read one, but I want to pose a question to you. It says that Jesus had authority on earth to forgive sins. So if he had authority to forgive you like that, just because of who he was, why did he come and have to die? I mean, if he could just wipe it away and say, okay, you're forgiven, good to go, why did he have to come and be tortured to death 
gave up everything he had in heaven and be crucified. What did that accomplish? I think a lot of us have an understanding of the story of Jesus. We can talk about what he did, his time on earth, but not many of us know what he accomplished by his death. And what did his death do to the old you? That's a really important question. That when he came, his blood actually changed what you were like. And that's uh, where I want to jump into Jeremiah 23. So we're going to find that name, Jehovah Sidkenu. And now the Old Testament has been speaking about, prophesying about what Jesus was going to do ever since the beginning. So it says, Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. This is Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. And so this is what Jesus accomplished by his death. He didn't just leave you a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner, you got saved, and now you're a saint. And what he did actually changed you. Because the story of Jesus goes that, uh, or why he even came, was we had perfect relationship with God in the beginning. And Adam and Eve were there, and they looked like God. They represented him well. It said they were made in the likeness of God, in his nature. So if you were to look at the thought patterns of Adam, if you were to look at the thought patterns of Eve, the way they acted, the way they related with each other, the things they built, you would have seen an image of the Father because they were made perfectly in his image. But when they, uh, when they sinned, when they ate the fruit of the tree, they had a heart that was alive, and their heart turned dead. And then they no longer represented what the Father was like. They didn't represent his likeness, and everything got twisted. The way they related with each other, the way that uh, they tried to love God, the things they built, the selfishness crept in. And it says in Romans 5 that the heart that was dead actually produced death. And then ever since then, as humans have been born from Adam, death reigned in their lives. And they couldn't do anything except uh, just produce more sin, more sin. They were slaves to it. That's why God told Noah, uh, or spoke to Noah and said, there's only evil in people's hearts continually. That's why he sent the flood. It's because that death reigned in our hearts. So what God did is he implemented this Old Testament system of forgiving sins where if I sinned or people sinned, they would take their sin and they would put it on another animal. And the animal would die instead of them. And their sin, their consequences, would die on the animal instead of them. But as we were talking about that Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 says that he was going to come and be our righteousness. So Jesus actually did something different to where it says in Hebrews 9 and 10, I told you I'm going to blaze through some scripture. So if you're note takers, write it down or pull up your QR code. That Hebrews 9 and 10 says that the blood of bulls and goats, those things that were sacrificed, could not change that sinner into a saint. It would just leave you a forgiven sinner. Just destined to sin again, destined to do it again, just being enslaved to, well, I guess it's just going to be, you know, we have these thoughts today, even like my cross to bear, my sin to have, my sin struggle, my pattern, my, 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 my. We just kind of own and claim these things. But that's actually an Old Testament way of thinking that was stuck in the old animal sacrifices. 
And so what Jesus wanted to do, it says in Hebrews 9 and 10 that his blood was different. That when he came and died, it actually changed your nature so that you no longer were stuck as a forgiven sinner. It's actually wrong to say that you are a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner, you got saved, and now you're a saint. And if you don't believe that you're now a saint, you will only represent your old sinful nature. It's very important. It says in Romans 6 that however you present yourself, you will walk out. If I present myself as a slave to sin, if I think what Jesus did actually didn't work in me or he didn't finish something, I can't actually walk out his righteousness. I can't manifest his righteousness. So every area of my life that doesn't look like Jesus is a place where I don't know who I am yet. It's really good. I'm going to go into Ezekiel 36. Again, the, the Old Testament is prophesying and has been prophesying about who Jesus would be and what he would do for us. In Ezekiel 36, it says that Jesus is going to remove the heart of stone from us and give us a heart of flesh. So that heart that only did evil continually, the heart Jesus talked about in Matthew 17 that produced theft, adultery, greed, evil thoughts, he removed from me. I like that game operation. When you remember that old soul game, you pull something out, it's like, whew, and it's gone, I take it out. That's what he did to you. He reached in and grabbed that old heart that produced those evil thoughts and he extracted it, removed it. Then he put a heart of flesh inside of you. And that heart is different. It said it actually has the law of God written on it. It actually says it will cause you to obey all of its laws and rules. It says it will sprinkle you clean of all your uncleanliness and all of your filth. It doesn't say 50%. It says all of it. This new heart works. It's beating, and it doesn't produce evil thoughts anymore. It says also in Ezekiel 36, we'd receive a new spirit. That's the Holy Spirit that Jesus qualifies us to receive. It's the spirit of God that comes and lives inside of us. But what didn't change is our thinking and our mind and our believer. You didn't know your believer was a muscle, but it is. And so and it lives up here. And it says in Romans 12, 2, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our mind is kind of like the owner's manual to our new self. If we don't know how to drive our new self, we're just going to drive into a ditch. If you don't know how to operate your car, you got to read the owner's manual, figure out how do I drive this. You could own a really, really nice Bugatti and not know how to drive it simply because you haven't read the owner's manual. And so I want to propose to you that Jesus has accomplished something in your body that his death on the cross actually removed the old you and gave you a brand new you. And now you're learning how to walk out who you really are. And the more you think you're your old self, you can't actually walk in your new self. And all the lies the enemy towards you are to make you think you're here when really you're here. So when Jesus came and he died for us, it says in Isaiah 52 that he was marred beyond any man, marred beyond human likeness. So if you were to see Jesus on the cross, he's got nails in his hands and his feet, crown of thorns covered in blood. He just finished getting whipped with whips with bones in them. And so his flesh is all torn up. You couldn't tell that was a human being on the cross. It was so bad. In that way, you couldn't tell he was human. In the same way, we were made in the image of God in the garden, everything we did. But if you looked at us, you would not see the Father. That we didn't represent or look like our created value anymore. 
So Jesus came, says John 14, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He did perfectly what we could not do and he exchanged with us. So on the cross, he took our image that looked nothing like God and crucified it. And he made an exchange and gave us his image, the one we should have had in the garden. Ezekiel 36 continues to say that we will be restored like the Garden of Eden. He'll rebuild our waste places. So this isn't a, I'm just kind of on my way to get better. It's the old you died and is gone and extracted. I put it this way that sometimes we say, oh, I feel like, say I, I sin or I do something wrong, or I feel like my flesh is rising up. We don't do Christian zombies. If it's dead, it's dead. So some people say, I feel like my flesh is rising up. It's like, it's not your flesh rising up. It's the enemy trying to lie to you. And you start believing the truth about yourself. It says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. It's about what you believe. Because he actually finished the work in you. When I was uh, eight years old, um, this is the way I met Jesus, was I had really, really bad sleepwalking nightmares. Like, not just normal for little kids. I would actually wake up screaming around my house. I had some reoccurring nightmares. Sometimes I'd end up in a place, I don't even know how I got there. And then my parents took me to doctors, did brain scans, and the doctors could just say, well, he must still be developing. And one night, my dad prayed for me, and he just said some prayer. I said, Jesus, I ask you to give Jeremy sweet dreams tonight and replace them for what was there. And I don't know how to explain it to you, but it was like I sat up in the presence of God, fell on me as an eight-year-old. I remember sitting and saying, what was that? And just thought that, oh, he cares about me. And I had this joy in me that I was just like, I've, I like literally didn't know what to do with it. And then ever since then, all those sleepwalking nightmares stopped. And just after that night, completely gone. I guess I was done developing. So that's, I mean, God did an amazing work. But then when I got to college, I started realizing that, okay, God wants to meet with me at night. I'm a big believer that God speaks to us in our dreams. So if you're a dreamer in the room, I think God's trying to give you a message. Uh, but if, and I was in my junior year of college, and all those things came back, all those old nightmares, all those old thoughts, just at random. I remember waking up one night, it was just like, boom, just fear was in my room. And I was like, I haven't felt this since I was 12, or since I was eight. It's been 12 years from, that, from then till now. And this, this thought kept coming to my mind, like, did what happened when I was eight actually work? Like, did he actually complete a work in me when he set me free? Because if that's true, then why am I feeling this way? My, why are my experiences this way? Why are my dreams this way? Why are my thoughts this way? Why are my temptations this way? And the good thing is that we don't live according to our experience, but what the Word of God says. And what I said before, the lie of the enemy is to make you not believe he finished his work. If he said it's finished, I'm going with him. And my experiences can take the back seat because I'm going to follow what he said. But this is what that looks like because I'm waking up at night and some of you guys might not be used to people talking about spiritual entities and things like that, but there's a demon in my room. Welcome to 2022. And it was just there. I wake up at 3.23 a.m. every morning for five days straight. And I just wake up, have a nightmare, and I wake up and just feel fear filling my room. And it was crazy. And stuff like that happened for like the next month. But I remember the first thing, like the first night, the Holy Spirit started talking to me. I woke up and he said, Jeremy, I know you feel that in your room, but that, that demon doesn't realize whose room he's in. I said, what? Because I had this thing where I thought I would wake up in this 
literally this demon would be in my face and I'd get terrified and afraid. And just this thought kept running through my mind. And then he said, hey, when, when that thing comes to you, it's going to pull back the sheets and see a lion sleeping. and say, oh, let me put that back and just, I must be in the wrong room. Or if it was in my closet, say, Jeremy, that thing doesn't know whose stuff that is. It doesn't know who it's messing with, that you are a completed work. And there were all those lies were saying, maybe there's something in you that wasn't actually finished. Maybe Jehovah Sid Canoe isn't actually your reality because of what you're experiencing and feeling. But that's not the truth. I would, when I'd feel that way, I would like almost run to go like read my Bible or play worship music or do something to try to like get whatever I was feeling out of the room. But the Holy Spirit told me, he said, Jeremy, actually that is a fear response. That 2 Timothy 1.7 says, I don't have a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So if I obey what I want to out of fear, I'm no longer being led by the Holy Spirit. I'm being led by a different spirit. It's not an emotion, it's fearful. And so what I would actually do is, all right, so I can't read my Bible. I'm not going to play worship music. He would actually, the Holy Spirit would tell me, go sit in the dark in your closet where you think that thing is and just be okay being new in me. And it didn't feel good. I was not like rocking and rolling the Holy Spirit. I was like, this feels horrible. You know, like I just feel fear all over me. But he would just say, Jeremy, the fact that you feel fear on your skin proves it's on the outside trying to get in. Just don't let it in. And the moment I could distinguish, I'm a finished work on the inside, but I can experience things on the outside, gave me authority in the moment. And I think there's a lot of us in the room that you feel temptations, you feel crazy wild thoughts throughout your day, and you're wondering, am I a crazy person because I'm having these thoughts? Am I actually saved? Am I actually a new creation? Did that transference of, of the old man out of me, and now I'm a brand new man, did that really work? because I'm experiencing so much in my mind, so much in my dreams. And in John 10, five, it says this, that uh, my sheep hear my voice and strangers they won't follow. And I wanna say, we, we know we won't follow the stranger's voice, but we forget that we can hear it. So you can hear the stranger's voice, but you don't have to follow it. So we used to be fathered by the devil. It's just true. He used to be our father and our ways and our likeness and the things we used to do represented him and his nature. Then when I got saved, I stepped under God being my father and I started representing him and his likeness. But the enemy knows I remember what I used to be like. So he's going to bring up old feelings, thoughts, and temptations to make me think I thought them. But remember, I don't have that heart anymore that produces that. That's Matthew 17, the old heart produced evil thoughts. Do you have an evil heart anymore? When David says in Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, is he prophesying what we would receive or am I just in this perpetual cycle of maybe the Lord will finish it, maybe he'll finish it? No, David is prophesying what would happen. I actually don't ask God for a pure heart. I thank him for the pure heart he's given me by his blood. And then I can actually manifest that. If I ask God to do what he's already done, it's a fruitless prayer. Yeah, we got to know. It says that in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It matters that we understand the gospel. It matters. So when you hear that thought come through your mind, it could be the most twisted, wild thought you've ever thought, and you don't even like it. Like, you don't even like the thought that you're having. What, what you need to know is, okay, that is a lie of the enemy trying to get in. And right now, I have a choice to know I'm either different and I'm the righteousness of God, or I can think I produced it and then give into it. 
It says Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin in Hebrews 4.15. So the weird thoughts, weird dreams you've had, he had. Did it change his nature and his likeness and his standing before God? It didn't. But in the moment, he knew who he was. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, all those temptations were about, if you really are the son of God, if God really put that in you, that's really who your calling is. In the same way, he's going to tempt you. If you're really the righteousness of God, if you really uh, finish this work in you, then why are you being tempted? Why are you having these dreams? I was talking with a guy at our church named Trey Green, where he said, right after the enemy tempts you, if you, if you reject him and you don't follow it, he'll walk out, they'll turn the door and say, hey, by the way, just the fact that I tempted you means there must be something wrong with you. When really, I'm just encouraged that he thinks he needs to bother me. Maybe I'm bearing fruit for the kingdom. And he's trying to knock me off my horse. And so I start thinking, okay, I have been made the righteousness of God by Jesus, and that's the fruit I need to manifest. That's good. All right. I want to jump into some Romans. Romans is nice and juicy. I could have just read five, six, seven, and eight, and we could call it quits. Uh, so we talked a little about Romans 5. Romans 5 was that saying that that uh, dead heart in Adam produced sin, but when Jesus came, he gave us a new nature, a new heart that produced righteousness. And then Romans 6 talks about what happened to the old Jew. So I talked about at the beginning that question of what did Jesus's death accomplish for you? Like, what did it do to you? His death actually did something to you. It says that it took the old you and killed it. And it says in Galatians 5.24, that our old self has been crucified with Christ with its passions and desires. So when the nails went through Jesus' hands and through his feet, they spiritually went through the old you's hands and the old you's feet. And then when he died, the old you died with him. That's why we did that baptism bash a couple weeks ago and we're dunking people. It's not just washing dirt off their body. It's we put them down and we bring them up. We're spiritually saying that old you stayed underwater and is never gonna rise again. It's an unmarked grave somewhere and I don't even know where he is. Boom, here you are new in God. Because when Jesus put his righteousness in you, it wasn't a form of righteousness, it was his righteousness. He gave you his relationship with God. So you have Jesus's relationship with God as a son, not just your own, you have his. That's why you have full access. That's why he always loves you. That's why it is just right to be confident. That's why it's right to have a good day all day because I have his relationship with God. So it's, it's a mind shift. It's thinking, Jesus, renew the way I think, renew what I see. That the, the main reason, or a main reason God gave you the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will retrain the way you think. It says in uh, John 4, uh, 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So us being sanctified, that process is our mind starting to think like God's does. It's going back to his image. It says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And it's his job to sanctify you. So if we think we can do this Christian life without knowing the person of the Holy Spirit, we're telling God we don't want to be sanctified by him. Because there's no other way to grow in God than to know the person of the Holy Spirit. It says in Galatians 3, that you who started by the Spirit will not be perfected by the flesh. He even talks in Colossians that different forms of asceticism have no use in, in stopping fleshly desires. 
That's talking about covenant eyes, talking about accountability groups, talking about going to counseling. Those things help, but if you don't know the Holy Spirit, it's not gonna work. We have to first know the person of the Holy Spirit. And I was saying we, we have our new self, our old self is fully removed, extracted out of us. I think it'd be helpful each morning if we just start the day by saying, Jesus, I'm gonna be righteous today because I am righteous. You've made me holy, blameless, and above reproach before you. I'm not anything different than that. That old me is dead. I don't know where he is. I don't care what temptation I face today. They don't belong to me anymore. The enemy has no claim on me, and I'm just excited to be your son today. I'm excited that I have a propensity towards righteousness today, and that your Holy Spirit lives in me. Like, if you started your day that way, would it change things? It's not waking up saying, Lord, I hope I don't sin today. It's just going to be bummer to bummer, uh, and I, I messed up last night anyways. Just, I just must be on the trajectory of bummer to bummer. I'm just gonna try harder, try harder. Really, it's I'm going from glory to glory into his image. Because if I'm growing into his likeness, this is what it talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, as we behold the glory of the Lord, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, we go from one degree of glory to another into the same image, Jesus. So tomorrow, if you run into me, I'm gonna look more like Jesus than I do today because I spent today and tomorrow looking at him. And my hope today is I look just a little bit more like him than I did yesterday because I'm hungry for him. I want him. Like, I'm in love with him. This thing is about our love relationship with Jesus. And it's saying, your gospel actually did accomplish something for me. And all the other weeds in my garden that can try to choke out the truth of what you did, I will not allow because I'm going to give you my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole strength. And everything that I have, I'm going to grow up into Jesus, into his likeness. And... It even talks about in, uh, in Colossians that our new self is being uh, renewed in, after the knowledge of its creator. Our new self is being renewed after the knowledge of its creator. So the more I get to know Jesus, the more I can walk in my new self. The more I get to know Jesus, the more I understand my owner's manual and the more I can start walking. So what happens if you sin? If you're like, great, I've got this new nature. I can run with this. The old me's gone. The new me's here. Yes. And then tomorrow you sin. You're like, what happened? <laughs> you know, I thought I had it down. What you don't do is go, Jesus, do you forgive me? Like, you don't start doubting. Did, did what you actually work? What you actually do is say, Jesus, thank you that I am forgiven. It is a always type of thing. It says, he is forever made holy those who are being sanctified. And so that never changes. So what, if I sin, I say, Jesus, I repent that I didn't believe who I was, that I must have misknown my identity, or I didn't trust what you finished. But now I know what, who I am. I've gone back to the word. I've found what you're like and who you are. And I'm stepping back under truth and stepping back into faith. Thank you that you're my father, that you'll never cast me out, that I'm adopted son, that I have the full inheritance today, and you have full confidence in me, that today is going to be a new day, that you are sanctifying me today, and look more like you after this than I did before. So that's how we think, because that's his heart for you. That's the Jehovah Sidkenu heart for you. He's not worried about the righteousness he put in you, wondering if it's going to work. He says, stay in faith. I've made a way. I've paid for it. Stay in faith. And I think there's some people in the room who've been in such a cycle of sin, repeat, sin, repeat, but it's this knowledge of the truth that will cause you to walk in freedom, as you've been made free. And the more you stare at Jesus, the more you stare at him, the more you can walk that out.
Amen. All right, can we put uh, Romans 6, 16 through 19 up there? So I've mentioned this, but I want to show you straight out the good book. Uh, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. That's what we talked about. Heart of stone gone, new heart of flesh put in you, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness. So I want you to catch leading to more lawlessness. So if I just keep thinking that I'm a sinner saved by grace, not knowing who I've become, it will just lead me into more lawlessness. I like the NIV of Romans 6, 13. It says, present every part of yourself a slave to righteousness. Every single part. It says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to what? Sanctification. So the more I keep going back to, no matter how much I give into a sin, I say, I just keep coming back to know I am made righteous. I am made holy. The old is gone. The new has come. I've become the righteousness of God. That will lead to my sanctification. My mind will get renewed and I can actually walk that out as another person of the Holy Spirit. So I'm excited about that. Like he has put the trajectory in front of me that at the end of my life, I get to look like him. Then when I stand before him, I'm going to be able to show him, Jesus, I wanted to run with you and walk with you. And you have formed your image in me to the degree you had me on earth. One of the things I love about the person of the Holy Spirit is that when he comes, he will, Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. What does that mean? And fire. Such a random phrase. It's like, Sounds very charismatic, and I don't know what that means. And what I love that the Bible talks about fire is that it cleanses away impurity. And it says in 1 Corinthians 3 that there's a day where we're all going to sin before the judgment seat of Christ. That's not whether you're saved or not. It's he's going to judge your works of what you did while you were on earth to represent his name. It says that there are things that in your, what you've built are made out of wood, hay, or straw— Okay, things that didn't look like him, they're going to be burned up with fire. But if there's precious stones and metal there, when his fire comes to test it, it's going to stand, and we get to worship him with that. And so what his baptism of fire does now on earth is it gives me a pre-run of that and goes ahead and baptizes me in fire, and then anything that doesn't look like him now gets removed, so when I stand before him then, I don't have to give an account for it. So when I stand before the Holy Spirit daily, say, Holy Spirit, would you baptize me in fire today? Show me any part of me that doesn't look like Jesus and burn it away now. So when I stand before Jesus, then I have something to give him. That's why it's not just mental Jenga and, okay, I'm not this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. It's and, and okay, now Holy Spirit, take that truth and make me that. Take that truth and cause me to think that way and walk that way. Does that make sense? Awesome. Well, I'll take a little bit of time. I believe that we are Bible scholars in the room. So I want to debunk a few passages that I think really knock us uh, with this theology, where a lot of times the way we grow up, it's the sinner saved by grace theology. It's almost common to just be stuck in sin, to have pet peeves that we're just all comfortable with or having our own sin struggles, uh, as if God just like sovereignly gave you that sin struggle, even though he sent his son to kill it. So... 
uh, I think it's good that we look into this. So let's put Romans 7.23 up. So Romans 7, so it goes obviously Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. And a lot of times people read Romans 7 not in context of the 5, 6, 7, and 8. Romans 7, Paul starts talking about the things that I want to do, uh, I can't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I always do, and I'm just stuck in this sin-repeat, sin-repeat cycle. Wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Uh, and then he starts going on and on and on, and people agree with that chapter, because that looks like my life. Paul must be talking about what my new self is like. Great, I can relate with Paul. Isn't that a great thing? Paul is a great man, I can relate with him. But Paul's not talking about his new self, he's talking about his old self. What a stronghold is, is when we have an experience, we wrap faith around, but it's not truth. So what God does is he unwraps our faith around that experience, starts rewrapping it around truth. And sometimes that feels awkward. We feel like we slip up sometimes, but be okay growing up into that. There's a lot of ways we were trained by the world. We were trained to think like our old self, but that's what's getting renewed. It also says in uh, 1 John, uh, I don't think I put this one on the board, so I'll just share it with you. So this is 1 John 1, verse 9. Okay, so I'm going to start in 7. It says, uh, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. All sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from 50% of all unrighteousness. All right, no, it doesn't say that. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Sometimes this passage used to say, well, if you say you haven't sinned, then you're a liar and there's truth not in you, so we can't talk about how the old self is gone, the new self's here, and that you have this righteous heart that doesn't produce unrighteousness, but righteousness. But if we keep reading, it says in 1 John 2, 1, it says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And again, in 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who abides, who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. You catch that. So I talked about if we see Jesus, if we behold him, if we ask the Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us, if I see him, I know my new identity because it's his righteousness in me, that if I see him, I can represent him well. But if I'm living in sin, it's because I don't know him well. We don't like talking about that. But if there's a place where we're stuck in sin and it just feels like a cycle, this isn't beating you down or condemning you. It's a place to get hungry and humble and say, Jesus, I want to know you better. I need to know you. It's a love issue. It's who do we love the most? We don't like talking about that, but I want to love him well. It doesn't, it doesn't change the way he loves me, but I want to love him back really well. And the best way I can love him back is by obeying his commandments and showing not with my words, with my life, he's worth getting to know and he's worth everything. All right, one last part I'm going to read for you. Um, this is in James chapter 1, 12 through 15. Uh, we're, doing, we're doing Bible lesson this morning, so hopefully y'all are taking good notes. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So that's a little troublesome because I just talked about how in John 10, 5, it says that if not every thought that goes through my mind is my own, but then what do I do with this when it says each person is tempted when he is lured and is enticed by his own desire? Does that kind of make anybody ponder a little bit? So I, it's important to read everything in context. And so what James is talking about is he's defending the fact that some are saying that God can be tempted or God tempts people. He's not addressing our new nature in that theology. It says in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. So did he have bad desire and evil in him? No. So for us to say that, just, that this verse is applying to everyone in their new self is incorrect. It also says in Galatians 5.24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus have had their old self and their passions and desires crucified with Christ. So this isn't talking about who you are now in God. It's trying to address separate issues. That the more you dive into this new nature, new righteousness theology, and you start saying, Jesus, I want to live this way, you'll find it's very solid the more you go through. And all of this is, yes, it's going to be helpful for us to walk in our new nature. Yes, it's going to be helpful for us to actually be holy like he's holy. He says he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I'm holy in his eyes, and I'm being sanctified on earth to look like him. But the greatest joy to me is that I get to know God free of charge, and I can approach him boldly all the time. Because when I look at uh, what Jesus paid for me for, I realize, wow, he drank the whole cup of wrath for me. That if the Father were to pour that out over me, nothing would come out because he drank the whole thing. And now he's fully qualified me to know his Holy Spirit, to be filled by his Holy Spirit. And the trajectory of my life is now glory to glory. It's not bummer to bummer. It's not trying to make it, trying to make it. It's glory to glory. And so in this room, I think there's people who maybe you've never heard uh, this kind of gospel before. You've never heard what he accomplished for you, and you want that. You want your old self gone. You want the guilt and the shame, the nature removed, and you want his righteous nature paid by his blood to be put in your heart. So we're going to give you a chance for that after the service. There's others of you who are saying, man, I want the person of the Holy Spirit. I realized that I don't have anything in me that can make me better, reveal Jesus to me, except for him. There's nothing. Galatians 3, like I said before, though who started by the Spirit, you will not be perfected by the flesh. And so after this service, we're going to have a great time of praying for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, for him to sanctify you in every way that you need, and to fill you with more of Jesus. So if I could just invite you guys, let's all stand up. I want to share... One last story to close. I just want to paint a picture of Jehovah Sidkenu for you, of how this has been in the mind of God ever since the beginning. In Joshua chapter 10, Joshua is leading the Israelite people into the land of Canaan. And God gave them a promise that everywhere the soul is foot treads and everywhere he walks, God will give it to them. And uh, it says that when Joshua would come against the old kings of that day, he would do something very strange. He would kill the kings. He would hang them on a tree 
but he wouldn't let them stay there. So he took them down that evening and he put them in a cave and rolled a stone over it. That's Joshua chapter 10. Does that sound familiar to what happened with Jesus? Why is that? It says God is saying that unless you are Jewish in this room, that was the destiny of every person in this room. That we, most of us were Gentiles that didn't know God, had no plan or purpose in life. And what was going to happen is we were gonna be on that tree and we would die and be put in that cave and be lost forever. But instead of us having to be there, Jesus saw that and said, I'm gonna be there in their place. I'm gonna be that man on a tree so that they don't have to be. And instead of them dying and going away, it's just gonna be their old self that dies and goes away. And when I rise again, it's gonna be that new creation for them that this has been prophesied since the beginning. So if our prayer team could come to the front, we're gonna pray for folks. So again, if you want Jesus, if you want to be in with this gospel, if you want your old self destroyed and new and put, and, and put away and you wanna be brand new in God, come find someone at the front. If you need God, if you, uh, if you need to be sanctified further, if there's things in your life where you're saying, I need the Holy Spirit to burn this out of me, to burn away, come to the front because it is free and paid for by Jesus. So I'm gonna pray for us, you know, just start coming. So Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Come with the spirit of burning and purify our hearts and our minds in this room. In Jesus' name, I'm asking that you would so solidify that we would present ourselves as the righteousness of God. We present our members as those slaves to righteousness. And I'm asking for people in the room that want Jesus, who've never known him like this, that today their old self would be dead and gone and they become born again today with a new father. In Jesus' name. So y'all start coming and the band's gonna lead us.